Aleph Farms is working on the hardest challenge, the holy grail of cultured meat, whole steaks. Compared to, for instance, burger patties, steaks are harder because they are three-dimensional and combine a variety of different textures. Aleph Farms is also the first company in the emerging industry to commit to net zero carbon emissions by 2025 and zero carbon throughout the entire supply chain by 2030. And as if that isn't enough, they are also the first company that has ever created cultured meat in space. Yes, space. We will talk about that and much more. The company was founded 2017, is based in Israel, and they have raised over $14 million so far. Ala Farms is one of the 100 tech pioneers chosen by the World Economic Forum. You will hear from Didier Tobia, the co-founder and CEO. For six years, he was CEO of NLT Spine, a VC-backed startup sold to C-Spine. He is also the former CEO of IceCure Medical, a fast-growing medical device company that successfully went public on the Tel Aviv Stock Exchange. You are listening to Season 1 of Red to Green on Cellular Agriculture. This is Episode 11 on Steak Without Cows, Check out our earlier ones covering, for example, pet food, cheese, and making cultured meat at home. Support the podcast by subscribing and leaving a short review on iTunes. Many hours go into creating each episode, and with just a few clicks, you can make a meaningful contribution. Thank you, and let's jump right in. Welcome to the Red to Green podcast on food innovations that are better for the planet and better for you. And I'm your host, Marina Schmidt. Thank you for being on the Red to Green podcast. Hi. Hi, everyone. Thanks for having me. Let's look at the problems that Aleph Farms is addressing. Why did you choose to specifically focus on cultivated steaks instead of maybe you could say simpler, easier options? Why are you solving the problem of steaks? <laughs> It's actually two reasons. First, because we can, and growing <laughs> steaks is definitely the the holy grail of, of cultured meat, and that's definitely on the roadmap of a few other companies. But the connection we have with the Technion, Israel Institute of Technology, and with Professor Levenberg grants us access to a technology enabling just that. The platform we've been implementing relies on over 20 years of research. Uh, we're col collaborating with Professor Levenberg, who is a leading researcher in that space of tissue engineering, meaning growing tissues outside of a, of a body. She's been uh, doing that for uh, six years at the MIT and then more than 15 years in, in Israel at the Technion, um, mainly for medical applications in order to fix organs in uh, uh, diseased patients. Mm -hmm. And what we've done, we have uh, transferred the same underlying science and technology and applied it into the food industry, growing muscle tissues of cattle for the purpose of human consumption. So first, because we can, and second, because I believe that for cultivated meat to become a real option in the market and an alternative to conventional meat, it has to reproduce the experience of what meat really is. In our mm. views, meat is not just animal protein, uh, we're not in the protein business. Uh, meat is a much more uh, complex, sophisticated product connected with a lot of uh, emotional, historical, cultural, even religious um, identities. And we want to make sure that we reproduce the sensory experience 
but also the nutritional quality and the culinary quality of what meat really is. I've read that compared to animal agriculture, the current production process has only about half of the emissions, which is already a great step. But I'm wondering, where are the main sources of those emissions? Is it just electricity or where else are emissions currently involved in the production mm. process? Alephant has been the first company in, in that emerging industry to commit to net zero carbon emission at its yep. uh, production sites in 2025, which will already be large-scale commercialization, and to reach zero carbon through the entire supply chain by 2030. So working very aggressively with, uh, with our partners to make sure that we build the right production platform at start and that we scale up the company on this uh, platform which will uh, be suitable for carbon neutrality. It's a holistic approach which uh, targets different aspects of the production and the supply chain. Obviously the fact that, that uh, um, cultivated meat can be produced anytime, anywhere, what we've demonstrated with our um, meat production in, in space, is a great advantage because you can produce the cultured meat at proximity to large urban areas where the meat is consumed and um, reduce transportation. But we also skip the slaughterhouse phase. Slaughterhouses are actually factories and high-speed uh, production chains. I've visited a few ones um, slaughtering thousands of animals per hour and mm. with a very high consumption of water. And we also skip the processing of the meat because we grow directly the steak and uh, without not the whole carcass. So we also save a lot of production steps in uh, processing the carcass and, and uh, cutting the, the meat and the carcass into the different uh, different cuts. We save a lot of transportation, um, not only of the end product, as you mentioned, but also through the entire production process. In uh, the conventional meat industry today, the, um, the animals can be bred, for instance, in, in Poland, and then can be raised in Germany, and then mm. consumed in, in France. And there are a lot of uh, intermediaries and a lot of um, uh, transportation involved through the entire production process, which we definitely um, make obsolete. Uh, we just make the meat in three weeks when and where it is consumed. It also provides a higher level of traceability and transparency of the production process. If you remember the, some uh, scandals uh, a few years ago with the uh, meat mm. which, for which we have lost the, the trace and there was some horse meat uh, sold as, a, as beef meat in uh, some lasagnas in France. The, the current meat industry has a big problem of uh, traceability and transparency, which we solve. And overall, we believe that the cultivated meat approach will be a, a necessary solution for Europe to reach its uh, uh, green uh, deal objectives. As you know, Europe as a whole continent has uh, committed mm -hmm. to uh, be carbon neutral by 2050. And because agriculture is responsible for close to 20% of the greenhouse gas emissions or CO2 equivalent in Europe, um, it will not be possible to reach carbon neutrality in the continent without incorporating new technologies and new production processes within agriculture. And so we do see today a very interesting um, situation where cultivated meat is becoming a necessary piece of a European strategy, not just you know, sustainable, a better way to produce meat, which might sound intriguing for some. It really becomes a, a cornerstone of the one trillion dollar plan the, the European Union is uh, spending on uh, upgrading the agriculture ecosystem 
Do you plan to launch in Europe or do you plan to launch in another continent? We're currently discussing with our partners at different uh, possible locations for a first launch. In Europe, we're working very closely with the Migro in Switzerland, which mm -hmm. is a large retailer and food manufacturer. Uh, but we also have uh, discussions with other partners in, in France, in Spain, Italy, and the UK. Um, and we do believe that Europe is a great region to market cultivated meat for many reasons. Um, we also have a, a partnership with uh, Corgill in the US, and we yeah. were just in the process of uh, implementing other agreements in Asia. The idea of Ali Farms is really to develop a global platform for local production. Um, and post-COVID-19, we believe that the globalization will have to find the right balance between a global economy and a local production. Uh, we've seen more and more focus on the um, resilience of the food ecosystem and balancing the dependence on the, uh, imports and global trade with the local production in Asia, for instance, and in China, in Singapore, in Japan. We've seen uh, some issues with the resilience of the, the production of meat, the, the meat uh, system in the U.S., with a, a lot of plants, uh, Smithfield, Tyson being uh, shut down, and the production of meat at the, the peak of the, the first wave uh, being down 50%. We've seen the COVID-19 uh, spread in the um, slaughterhouses in Germany yep. in the last few weeks. Um, and I believe that uh, post-COVID-19, there will be more and more importance and more focus and awareness about uh, solutions able to produce meat um, locally where it is consumed according to a process which is 100% resilient to disruptions. Um, so our goal is to um, work with partners to produce meat locally when and where it is uh, consumed in Europe and in other parts of the world. Do you see an increase in government funding? We do see an increase in government funding for technologies which can uh, promote a transition of, the, of agriculture toward uh, greener production methods, more sustainable, more resilient production methods, and promoting digitalization of the, the whole food ecosystem. Um, and we believe that this is very positive for cultivated meat. So we haven't seen yet um, an increase of funding specifically for cultivated meat, but for instance, in, in Europe, with the, the farm to fork strategy and, and the recovery fund, including the Just Transition Fund, We have seen an increase in the budget um, allocated for technologies promoting a transition of agriculture toward more sustainability. So it will be positive on the mid to long term. And as we said, the governments and the countries are looking for improving the resilience of the food supply chain and meat ecosystem. And many countries are also implementing aggressive plans to transit toward um, carbon neutrality not only in Europe, but also in Japan, in Australia, in France, in the UK, in Nordic countries. Some have even more aggressive plans than uh, the European Union. There is also more and more concerns regarding public health and uh, zoonotic uh, diseases. Actually, virtually all the viral diseases we have today in humans have been originated from animals at some point in time, uh, influenza, meaning flu, um, HIV and now um, COVID-19. <laughs> so I think that there are more and more awareness about the, the necessity to 
limit the friction points between humans and animals and uh, um, to reduce the use of antibiotics, which is also one of the, the key um, aspects of Farm to Fork and the biodiversity strategy of Europe. So the cultivated meat is really, I believe, today at a turning point when we have the ability to become very quickly a very important approach and technology to, to be incorporated into agriculture in Europe, but also in the US and in Asia. I mean, you have uh, raised an additional 11 million euros, including from corporate partners. One thing I wonder is how much more money will it likely take until you launch so until you have the product to market because it has a lot of research and development costs associated with it yes we're currently in the phase of finalizing the r&d of the first product which will be a think at beef steak and we should start building our first pilot plant at the beginning of 2021 beginning of next year so we're currently in the process of uh, building all the foundation toward the uh, scaling up transfer to production and commercialization so most of the R&D is already behind us. Uh, we still, of course, need the resources to, to drive this uh, go-to-market, not only uh, building the production capabilities and scaling up the production, but also getting regulatory approvals and uh, driving the, the acceptance and, and marketing activities around the cultivated meat. Uh, overall, we expect to have a first uh, pilot launch by the end of 2022, beginning of 23. And the, the, the cultivated meat play is a long-term play. It's a high-risk and high-impact type of approach where it will take time to really reach mass production and a large-scale market penetration. It might take, you know, five, seven, ten years until cultivated meat becomes a standard product in any supermarket. And on the other hand, we believe that the, the, the market is, is ripe for this type of innovation today. Consumers want alternative solutions for their animal products and we see that with the the the, the momentum around the the plant-based meat analogs so with memphis meats we have their series b overall amounting to 180 million overall do you see the amount that is necessary to actually build something like this and get this going to be in this arena I think it, uh, it really depends. <laughs> First, yes, it's a capital-intensive business. I think uh, Memphis Meat is definitely one of the leaders in this space. The, this large amount of money they've raised is also a validation that the industry is ripe now, uh, is mature enough to attract um, tier one um, large uh, financial and industrial investors, which have validated the feasibility of cultivated meat. So it's also um, a validation for the, the whole industry. Yeah. And this uh, very large amount of money uh, is also the result of an oversubscription of their own. That, to the best of my knowledge, they did not necessarily intend to raise uh, such a lot of money. And this also shows the, the appetite of investors and strategic partners for uh, new types of animal protein productions, production methods. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's overall very positive for, um, for the whole company and I assume for other farms as well. You have corporate investors as well. How do you see their attitude what do you think is their main driver are they investing out of an interest in the space out of seeing a huge opportunity or out of fear to be disrupted maybe it's a mix of all of them <laughs> yeah maybe uh, all of the above but 
I think that the, yeah, two, two things I want to, to mention. Uh, first, we're working with some industrial partners only when we um, validate that we share the same vision, the same set of values. We want to make sure that the partners we work with have a, a genuine and real strategies for reducing their carbon emission mm. and for implementing a structured sustainability strategy. We don't want to, to serve as a, a, you know, a kind of a greenwashing activity for, for polluting companies. It's mm. not, we will not, never do that. We're really partnering with the companies we believe has a serious interest in uh, promoting a sustainable agenda. That's one. And second, um, we also believe that for, um, for changing the system and for leading a real uh, reshaping of the, the food ecosystem, we need to work uh, from within the system. I think it will be very yeah. difficult as a small startup, you know, 30, 50, 70 people, whatever, as a standalone company to rebuild the, the global food ecosystem by its own. For, for this to work, we really need to work from within with a strong partners, uh, which have a lot of resources more than we have, and who are committed to uh, promote and to implement the, the cultured meat approach within their own uh, companies and uh, within their, their own ecosystem, which is large enough for impacting the, the global ecosystem in a positive way. And so the, the, approach, the approach of Alpha is to leverage uh, the, the capabilities of partners and to work together hand in hand in order to, to promote cultivated meat as, a, as an option and mm-hmm. which will incorporate the agriculture and uh, together with other pieces of the puzzle, complete the, the puzzle as a whole and make sure that the, the food ecosystem transits toward more resilient, more sustainable and more ethical practices. Yes. I think it's super important to have the corporates, the big players on the side of this new technology because based on the lobbying power, things can go wrong <laughs> if the right people don't like them. And therefore, I think it's great that there's an interest from the corporates and then there's also startups like Ale Farms cooperating in a mindful way um, with the big players. Another interview guest on the show said that um, she believes most of the investment is and will actually be coming from the life science sector because they are familiar with the regulatory approach and the complexity of this new technology. What do you think about that? Do you agree or disagree? It's uh, true that uh, investors with uh, some experience in in uh, medical applications in biotechnology better understand the depth of the technology we're using and also better understand the, the risks and the timelines associated with cultivated meat. So that's uh, uh, probably a good point. On the other hand, I believe that the meat is, is first and foremost food. I'm not sure that uh, license companies uh, really understand food. <laughs> so it might be a combination of both. You actually have been involved in creating the first meet in space. Can you tell us a little bit about it? What was the accomplishment? What was this all about? Yes, Alephant is very much focused on sustainability. We're, we have a head of sustainability in house and very high level sustainability advisory board. And for us, space is a lab. It's kind of a way for us to push the frontiers of sustainability. In space, you have zero available resources, land, water, and the scarcity of the resources in space is extreme. 
the conditions are extreme. And we believe that when we're able to develop processes for producing meat in space, we can then implement and, and transfer back into Earth, into our production processes on Earth, what works in order to make sure that uh, cultured meat uh, can be produced anytime, anywhere. The way we look at our space program, which is uh, called Aleph Zero, is uh, a bit similar to Formula One teams of uh, large car manufacturers like Renault or Mercedes or other car manufacturer is uh, testing uh, new materials, new technologies in the toughest environments in Formula One, in the toughest conditions, and then might decide to implement into the, the mass market car, you know, the, the day-to-day car, some of the solutions or materials when it has been validated in the uh, strictest uh, possible conditions and um, for us space is our uh, formula one team it's a way to to test uh, cutting edge technologies to develop the most advanced production platforms um, and then to decide what can be helpful on earth and what can provide the right solutions to push the frontiers of sustainability on earth i read that printing in layers under gravity does require the scaffolding but if you do that in space that's not necessary because there is no gravity and how does the production process uh, differ apart from that you are also using a 3d printer right Mm -hmm. in space we use um, an electromagnetic 3d printer which is slightly different than uh, the technology we're using in uh, on earth so that's true that the environments are are not exactly similar so we need to adapt our, our production platform for space you're right and if you would fly the meat back to Earth, would it just collapse in itself? <laughs> no, it, it hasn't collapsed. We brought it back. Uh-huh. Okay. Did the space meat taste different than your Earth meat? <laughs> the first experiment was performed at the International Space Station with our partner, 3D Bio, which is a, a 3D printer a company which has uh, this uh, 3D printer, the ISS was a first proof of concept to, to demonstrate that we can uh, grow cells in space and that we can assemble a tissue made of various cell types in space. It was a, a really initial first experiment, which is not uh, yet, you know, result, resulting in a full-scale stack, which is, <laughs> uh, you know, same as the one we grow already in, in, on Earth. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it was a very small piece of uh, muscle tissue made of, made of two cell types. It was, I don't know, five millimeters. It was not really, not really intended for uh, any testing, you know, <laughs> experiments or, or events. It, it's, it was a technological proof of concept. And mm-hmm. so we have to make more experiments to, to confirm all the, the attributes of the meat we grow in space. It's just the beginning. Does 3D printing play any role in creating meat on Earth? Uh, yes, it does. Actually, 3D printing is a, is a tool which is part of, the, of a toolkit which is at our uh, disposal. Actually, the very first product we aim at uh, releasing within a couple of years will, will not use 3D printing mm-hmm. because we believe that uh, 3D printing technologies will not yet be mature enough for um, mass production, for large-scale and low-cost production of meat within uh, two, three years. It might take a, a couple more years. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we're we're working with uh, um, some uh, 3D printing approaches, uh, but we will probably implement them in a second generation of platform. The the bottleneck here is really the um, the equipment, the printers themselves. 
which are not yet uh, ready for um, prime time. We'll implement 3D printing as soon as uh, we believe that the, the technologies are, are suitable for um, uh, reaching our business goals. You were saying that it's the holy grail of cultivated meat production. If you can answer this, how much harder is it to produce a steak than, for example, producing a burger? The two main challenges are, on one hand, the, the tissue engineering aspect, meaning uh, the ability not only to grow and isolate cells, but rather to, to make sure the cells can uh, interact and uh, form a structured um, a tissue like a muscle tissue, which is basically meat. And mm-hmm. the second key challenge is to make sure that we can culture various cell types together, because in a steak, in nature, we don't have just muscle fibers, as a standalone um, type of cells, we, we need different cell types to interact, including um, stromal cells, which are the, the connective tissue, which is uh, holding the, the structure together, uh, fat cells and others. And that's a big uh, scientific and technological challenge to, to make sure cells, different cell types can differentiate and grow together, same as in nature. So that there are significant challenges on the R&D side. Then the, the other challenge is really on the scale-up. Today, there is no platform for scaling up tissue culture. There, there are um, basically different solutions used in, in medicine for producing cells, uh, but not tissues um, at large scale. So that's also another um, area where we're leading today. In case that isn't top secret, could you describe how it is possible to combine all these different cell types in the right way? Mm-hmm. Yeah, at Alphonse, we're very much inspired by nature. Um, we, we do see ourselves as, uh, as designers um, mm-hmm. and we implement uh, um, nature-inspired uh, designs and uh, artistic approaches. We see ourselves as um, artists, as uh, crafters of meat, crafters of emotions and experiences. Mm-hmm. To really look at the meat um, growing inside the animal and trying to reproduce as closely as possible the environment of the same meat so that the, the kind of grow, interact same as in nature. And we work very hard on replicating the, the same conditions as inside the animal and the control conditions on the outside. And that's the, the key, I believe, to, to be able to uh, grow meat which is uh, similar to the meat um, growing inside the kettle. I've read that you have a scaffolding that is made uh, from soy. How do you create this scaffolding and what is it for? The scaffold is um, replacing the extracellular matrix in nature. Inside an animal, same as inside our own uh, human bodies, the cells need to adhere onto a mesh or a um, matrix in order to, um, to form a structured tissue. Cells cannot make a, a structured muscle tissue just in suspension. They, they need a support for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, in nature, this uh, mesh is made of animal proteins like a collagen. It's called the extracellular matrix. So in order to form a tissue, we have to replicate the same process and to replace this uh, um, matrix with uh, um, other proteins which are not animal-based. Our whole production platform is animal-free. We're not using any animal inputs, so we need to replace collagen and other proteins with uh, uh, other sources of proteins. The very first proof of concept we have developed with the Technion was uh, using textured soy protein. Today we're using uh, different types of materials, not necessarily soy, but we do use uh, 
basically non-animal proteins, edible non-animal proteins to um, form this uh, scaffold, this matrix on which the cells grow and which have a role for structuring the tissue. Let's look at the current price. So right now I've read it's about $1,000 uh, per kilo. And you have a very structured process on how to bring the price down. Could you describe what your strategy looks like? Yes, today we have a very clear path to reach a price parity, which is based on the um, economies of scale. Um, so it's clear mm -hmm. that uh, on one hand, there is a lot of development and uh, um, some proprietary technologies we have developed. We have uh, um, developed six different patents uh, related to cost reduction. And those technologies will be combined into a large-scale production platform to reach our goals. And then the actual cost reduction to similar production cost as conventional meat will be achievable with the um, economies of scale. So there is a lot of development upstream, meaning uh, which we have to develop uh, in order uh, to implement a production process which is suitable for cost reduction at large scale. And then we have to make sure that we can also uh, increase the production capabilities in order to reach the, the target. Yeah, good point. Now we come to some of the last questions. Regarding the area of food and sustainability, what developments are you excited about? I'm very excited to see the, the shift happening for um, sustainability the last uh, three to five years mm. and uh, the very strong push of uh, many large countries to support the transition toward more sustainable economies and not only food ecosystem but economies as a whole and i think that's really fascinating we're definitely at the tipping point in uh, human history i believe the the years we're living now and the experience we're um, acquiring now is uh, really historical in perspective of uh, human history the, um, the transition we have to to manage as a human species and and we will uh, win this transition is as important as uh, you know the the first uh, domestication of animals and the origin of animal agriculture 12,000 years ago, which was a kind of a, a, an engine behind the development of human culture. I believe that we're at the tipping point of human history today as well, and that's uh, really exciting. Didier, if you would have 50 million dollars. And you can't invest them in other farms, but you can invest them in other businesses or areas you're passionate about. Where would you invest them? I would say that uh, what's of uh, interest to me is on one hand, the innovative technologies around the animal protein and protein in general. I think that uh, um, protein should not necessarily be substitute to animal or milk or, or egg proteins. There, there are a lot of interesting areas around the proteins. And I would say also that the different approaches for reducing reducing salt and sugar in food is very important. One of the biggest issues in uh, public health infecting not only obesity, but also diseases, uh, cancer, and many other uh, comorbidities. Um, so that's uh, definitely one of the big focus of uh, what I would do. Didier, how can listeners support you? <laughs> well... First, uh, I'm excited that listeners are listening to this uh, webcast, which is, <laughs> you know, which is interesting for, for me. I'd, I'd be glad to, to get uh, feedbacks on, and uh, questions. And it's very important for us to open the dialogue with the new generation, the generation uh, Z, X, Y, and uh, but also the older generation. That's why we have opened this uh, visitor center at Alephams in order to foster a dialogue with um, 
the different um, segments of the population. We also have uh, initiated um, a program we call Z Board, which is about identifying the leaders of uh, the Generation Z globally, mm -hmm. working with the leaders from um, New Zealand, Hong Kong, um, the US, France, Israel, Canada, and um, building together our vision for the, for the future, for the future of the food ecosystem. I would like anyone who has uh, anything to, to add, to ask, uh, any comment, any concern, just to contact us and I would be glad to open the, the dialogue. Cool. I will leave a link to both DDA's LinkedIn, the Alifarm website and the initiative in the show notes. So you can just click on that to check it out. Thank you, DDA, for being on the Red to Green show. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. And I'm um, wishing you a very good day. Bye-bye. <laughs> <laughs> In the next episode, you will hear from Isha Datar, executive of New Harvest, a nonprofit that has been crucial for the development of cellular agriculture. Slowly but surely, this season is wrapping up, with only a few episodes left. The next season will give you an overview of innovations that can replace the single-use plastics in our food system. If you want to stay up to date on the most impactful innovations in food and sustainability, remember to subscribe and share it with your friends. Until next time, let's move our food system from harmful to healthy, from polluting to sustainable, from red to green.